Boy, doesn't it feel like spring across uh, Big 12 country? Man, that feels good. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet, and it's great to be here with you. This is my second favorite time of year, by the way. The second the calendar flips to March is my second favorite time of year. My first favorite time of year is that first Saturday, full college football Saturday in August or September. That, to me, is uh, the best time of the year. But this right here, digging out of January and February, and boy, I know those of us in uh, the Midwest were feeling it a couple of weeks ago. It's much better right now. We've got spring football starting. We've got the NCAA tournament, Big 12 tournament. Oh, this is awesome. And it feels good, doesn't it? Before we dive into it, as we do each and every week, please do take a moment out. Leave us a rating, review, subscribe to the podcast. It does help so much, especially with uh, March Madness right around the corner. Take a moment, hit the subscribe button, leave a rating and a review, and I will send you a free Heartland College Sports koozie in the mail. When you send me a rating and a review, send me a screenshot of that rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com, and I will get a koozie in the mail for you. When you send me a screenshot of that rating and review, I really do appreciate it, guys. Well, uh, let's get into my big 12 spring football questions and thoughts. The five biggest thoughts that I have around spring football this year for the big 12. You know, K-State started this week and the rest of the conference starting here in the next couple of weeks or so. And when I think big picture about this, uh, number one is, is how normal is this going to feel, right? It was this time last year that... COVID-19 was a thing, but like we were all planning to kind of live with it, right? We knew about it. And then suddenly the Big 12 tournament shuts down. It was that Thursday, Texas, Texas Tech on the court, getting ready for the game. And boom, the Big 12 tournament completely shuts down on Thursday morning, right as we're getting set for that 11 a.m. tip off. And then the whole world changes. The sports world changes. The real world changes. Everything is uh, thrown for a loop. We're in a different place right now. All right. I'm not going to make this political. That's not the goal of this show. (laughs) It's not. But we are turning a corner. Vaccines are getting put in arms every day by the millions, right? They are. I mean, there's no doubt about it. States are starting to open back up. Texas is opening back up. Mississippi this week opening back up. People are seeing that light at the end of the tunnel. Kids are getting back into the classrooms. Are we going to feel... Like we are in a place that we can go out there and we can get back to a sense of normalcy. Not saying it's going to be pre-COVID tomorrow. It's not. But we're getting there. And we're getting there really quickly, by the way. That's a good thing. So while it's not going to be a normal spring practice, like I'm sure the media still is not going to be on the field, spring ball, and, you know, face-to-face with the coaches just yet. But it's certainly going to be way different than last year simply because there is going to be a spring practice. I think only TCU. Got in a few days of spring practice last week. Everybody else was basically canceled in the Big 12. So that's step one. Getting that feeling, that sense of normalcy again is going to be nice. Then, as we talk about the five uh, big questions heading into spring practice for the Big 12, what team has built to challenge Oklahoma? The Sooners have won this conference six years in a row. And as much as I like to talk about the depth of the Big 12, and I do, I buy into it, the reality is... This is Oklahoma's conference. They own the Big 12. Six straight Big 12 titles. Iowa State's going to be a top 10 team in the preseason, top 25. 
Um, Texas is going to say, hey, what about us? But they're working in a new quarterback. They got a new head coach in Steve Sarkeesian. Yeah, they've got a lot of talent, but we've been saying that about Texas for 10 years. They've had a lot of talent, okay? So who is that team that is truly built to challenge Oklahoma? Iowa State beat them last year early in the season. They lost in the Big 12 championship game. Uh, Are they built to beat Oklahoma potentially twice in a year? That's hard for anybody to do. Never mind a Big 12 team. Or do they lose in the regular season, but then get there and beat them in the Big 12 championship? I I don't know. But here's the thing about Lincoln Riley and that offense. They see you once, and in the Big 12, there's a round robin, so there's no, like, not playing Oklahoma and then meeting them in the Big 12 championship game. That's impossible in the Big 12, which I think is good for the conference, by the way. I love the round robin setup. But it actually benefits Oklahoma because of just how stinking good they are and how great Lincoln Riley is at scheming against you, especially when he's seen you once already in a game and a sport that obviously is beneficial to the offensive side of the ball over the defensive side of the ball. So that's my second biggest question here around this conference as we get ready for um, spring practice starting up in the next couple of weeks. Who is the third best quarterback in this conference? Like, that's a great question. Seriously, think about it. Who is it? You have Brock Purdy, you have Spencer Rattler. Whichever order you want to put those guys in is is up to you. But who's next? It feels like there's a big drop-off from Brock Purdy and Spencer Rattler to... Max Duggan, Spencer Sanders, uh, Jared Dagey. Maybe it's Texas's Casey Thompson or Hudson Card. Uh, Baylor's Jacob Zeno showed me some great things in that Big 12 title game a couple of years back. I, there are a ton of options, a ton of options here to pick from on who that third best quarterback is in the Big 12. And frankly, whoever that third best quarterback is in the Big 12 is the team most suited to make a run at those top two teams in the conference, because it does feel like there's a drop-off between Oklahoma, Iowa state and the rest of this conference. But if Casey Thompson is a guy who can consistently put together some of those flashes that you saw in um, uh, the Alamo bowl this past season, then suddenly, you know what? You look at Texas and you say, Hey, Bijan Robinson, Casey Thompson, nice pieces on defense. Away we go. There's some real talent there, but there's always talent there. So who is that third best quarterback? We'll learn more about that this spring. Not that you, you know, get to see a ton of reps from guys, but you at least get a feeling for where these guys are on the reports, what the coaches are saying about these guys. If Casey Thompson uh, is not the clear front runner for the Texas job, we'll find that out this spring. Those are all the things that will come up here as we try to figure out who is the third best quarterback in the Big 12. Also, who can take the biggest step forward? And by that, I don't mean who can challenge Oklahoma. That's not what I mean. What I mean by that is who takes the biggest step forward. I look to the bottom of the conference. I look at Texas Tech, Baylor, and Kansas, finishing bottom three in the conference. And each fan base will want to make its case, right? For Baylor, though, right now, they've got the most talent of the three, and they had the toughest transition in 2020. New head coach in Dave Aranda coming off of Matt Rule's year. Um, He didn't have a spring ball to implement his system. First-time head coach. Weird summer practices. So Baylor's the team when you combine the toughest circumstances in 2020 with, on top of that, uh, the most talent of those three programs. And I look to Baylor to be the team that can take the biggest step forward of those three right now. But we'll learn more this spring what exactly that looks like. Uh, Because Dave Aranda is a guy who 
he's been given a blank checkbook, right? Let's just call it like it is. Dave Aranda has been given an incredible amount of money to do what he wants to do and hire the staff that he wants to hire and do what he thinks needs to be done to keep this team as a top contender in the Big 12. I know it was a tough year last year, but two and seven is not going to cut it when you've got those types of resources that Baylor has provided them. And they have provided great resources. So that's got to start to show itself here in 2021 and beyond. And he's got a little bit of pressure. I'm not saying he's on a hot seat. He's not. But there's got to be some pressure there for Dave Aranda coming off of that 2-7 and Big 12 season. And then the final uh, question, thought, heading into a Big 12 spring football practice is Steve Sarkeesian's style, the new Texas head coach. Yeah, the early returns on the staff and the recruiting are impressive, but he's in that honeymoon phase. We see it for every Texas head coach. It's like clockwork. You see that honeymoon phase. But we know how it ended for Steve Sarkeesian at USC. And while there's a lot of evidence that he is a different guy, and we we hope and pray for him that he obviously has um, improved himself and his well-being, and it seems like he certainly has, spending time in the NFL and under Nick Saban, being the head coach at Texas is a different beast, okay? It just, it is. What is the media interaction like? Tom Herman was not good with the media. And that's okay when you're winning a ton of games. Like when you're winning conference championships and going to the college football playoff and meeting or exceeding expectations, that's okay. But it's not okay to be aloof as Tom Herman was when you're not meeting those expectations. When you had played in one Big 12 championship during your time over four seasons, that doesn't work. And I don't get the sense that Steve Sarkeesian is like that, that he has that uh, aloofness, per se. But still, you don't know till you know. And while you won't get a real feel until the regular season, you'll get a decent feel during spring ball. Remember, too, Tom Herman was very close to the vest during um, uh, spring ball and just in general. He was very close to the vest. So we'll see what that media access is like, the style is like for Steve Sarkeesian. There are your five thoughts as we get ready for Big 12 football spring practice. Coming up next... Let's talk Big 12 hoops with our guy Matthew Postens on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Well, as we do each and every time this week, we welcome on our Big 12 basketball insider. He is Matthew Postens. He's on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. I'm Pete Mundo as we head down the home stretch of the Big 12 basketball regular season. Matthew, this week, the Baylor Bears locked up the Big 12 regular season title. Let's start there. And and just with the job that Scott Drew has done, uh, with all the success Baylor's had, they've never done this, winning the regular season title. What does it say with what Scott Drew has has built down there in Waco? Well, I, I can remember when he first took the job. Um, this is way back almost 20 years ago. I was working in Denton, Texas for the Record Chronicle there. Yeah, occasionally I'd go to the UNT games and write sidebars. And Baylor came to UNT either the first or second season Drew was there. And UNT won that game pretty handily. And, I mean, Drew inherited an absolute train wreck of a program. The Dave Bliss sanctions, the Dennehy murder. I mean, that program was radioactive at that point in time. And, And there were a lot of people who really just couldn't understand why Scott Drew even wanted that job. Here we are nearly 20 years later, taking them to the first Big 12 championship in the regular season. It's the school's first conference championship of any kind in men's basketball in 70 years. 
it's just an incredible rebuild job and he's done it you know quote unquote the right way you know he hasn't i have not seen a whiff of scandal or issue with that program um he recruits players who buy into the system they're consistently good every year and now he has an elite team that can challenge for a final four and a national championship so it's it's one of the best rebuild jobs i've ever seen regardless of sport yeah, and on that note, Matthew, Seth Davis uh, tweeted out here this week, uh, what Scott Drew has done at Baylor is the best rebuilding job in the history of sports. Tell me one better. I think it's Kansas State uh, football. I think it's harder to rebuild in football than it is in basketball. You get a couple of good guys. Uh, the basketball program has changed. What say you? It's a fun argument because, you know, I think both of those programs are pretty much in the same place. You know, Kansas State didn't have the scandal that Baylor was dealing with at the time, but you're looking at two programs that were just categorically bad for decades or categorically average for decades within their respective sports. Um, I think the, the program that Drew inherited, given its toxicity, you know, it, it added a bit of degree of difficulty because how do you get kids to come to a school like that at that particular moment in time than, than Snyder had to deal with? But you might be looking at the two best rebuilding jobs in college sports, regardless of sport and its history, because you know, Kansas State has done practically nothing in football. Baylor has done practically nothing in basketball. And those two guys turned those programs around in, in incredible ways. Mm-hmm. Matthew, as we uh, look around this conference right now, I continue to be more and more impressed by two teams, Oklahoma State and Kansas, both getting better by the game, it seems like. We'll get into each of them, but who are you making the case for right now, Oklahoma State or Kansas, in terms of which team is built for a deeper run in March? Um. I think Kansas is built for a deeper run, even though they're not as deep as Oklahoma State. You know, I've kind of made the point that Kansas can really only play about five or six guys. But the thing is, the last half dozen games, all five of their guys have played at a consistently high level. They've had, you know, four of their last five conference games, I think they had all five players in double figures. Not even Oklahoma State can say that. So while Oklahoma State's a little bit deeper, they're also a little bit younger. They don't have as much experience in the NCAA tournament as this Kansas team does. Um, and I just feel like the starting five as a whole for Kansas is just playing a little bit more at, at a higher level right now than the whole starting five for Oklahoma State. And remember, Oklahoma State, you know, they, they swept that bedlam run and they did it without Isaac Likely, uh, their junior point guard, which is a great feather in their cap, but they need him full strength for the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I, I agree there. Now, with this Cowboys team and, and the run that they've had sweeping Bedlam here in the past week or so, what is this team going to be like when we get into the tournament? You mentioned there that, yes, they're the younger team, but they are the deeper team. They do have a guy who might be the most talented player in this entire tournament. How far can that take them? I, I think it could be fun to watch because, obviously, Cade Cunningham is, like you said, one of the most talented freshmen in the game. Um, you know, but that that second win over Oklahoma is really com- kind of emblematic of, you know, where this team is right now. You know, Cunningham didn't have that great a game that night, but Rondell Walker had a really good game. Matthew Alexander Moncrief had a really good game. Uh, Caleb Boone had a great game. You're talking about big guys next year. He's going to be on the list of, of good big men in the Big 12 next year. This team has gotten better just by osmosis, just being in Cunningham's orbit. They're playing more confident. They're playing better defense. They're they're just a a high a higher quality team than they were two months ago. 
And given their depth and given the given the mental toughness they've shown the past couple of weeks, I think right now they have an outside shot at a sweet 16, which I didn't think they had a couple of weeks ago. I think it's still going to depend on their draw. But if they get a if they get a four seed or they get a five seed, which is where they were, you know, earlier this week, you know, that really helps them in terms of getting them a a an opponent in the second round that they can compete with and potentially beat to get to the Sweet 16. I think they've got an outside shot at it now. Who's concerning you right now, Matthew? Is there a team that's kind of losing some steam where you say, boy, I felt a lot better about this team a month ago? Is it is it is it Texas? Is it Oklahoma? Who who is that team for you? Uh, of those two, it's Texas. Uh, I'm not really all that concerned about Oklahoma. When you consider, yes, they lost to Oklahoma State twice, but one of those games went to overtime. The other went right down to the wire. Uh, Oklahoma played well in both games. Uh, Texas right now just feels like, along with Texas Tech, to be the two most inconsistent teams among those seven teams that are looking like they're going to the NCAA tournament right now. Uh, I feel like Texas has kind of swung back to being a guard-first team, whereas their balance between their guards and their forwards really served them well in January when they were playing really well. And with Texas Tech, you know, there's still time, I think, for them to find some some balance in what they're doing on the floor. I, I think for them, it's more just consistency. They, they've had, they haven't really had a COVID pause, but every COVID pause in the conference seems to have affected them in some way. So they've had trouble getting some consistent momentum. And I think, you know, this, you know, going into the Big 12 tournament, that gives them some opportunity because they're probably the one that is going to end up having to play that extra play-in game on that Wednesday. At least that's the way things are kind of tracking in my mind at this point, given where the Big 12 standings are. That actually could be a good thing for them because that would give them an extra game to kind of get their, uh, you know, get that consistency together that they need going into the NCAA tournament because they're built for it. They play good defense. They've got some some strong offensive players. They've just got to get more consistent on the offensive side of the ball. Matthew Poston's joining us on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Uh, bracketologies are coming out every day. I mean, Jill Lenardi's obviously the top guy in the business, Matthew. But as you've looked at the bracketologies here in the past few days, what has surprised you regarding Big 12 teams? Well, I think it's just one of those years where – everybody who's going to the NCAA tournament out of the big 12 is a quality team. I mean, there's no weak sister. I mean, we talked, I just talked about Texas tech being inconsistent on the offensive end earlier this week, there were 60 in bracketology. And I think that's probably right for them. And, you know, if they, you know, can win a few more games down the stretch here, they could end up improving to a five seed. A, a lot's going to change over the next week, week and a half. I mean, West Virginia loses to Baylor earlier in the week. No shame in that. West Virginia played a great game. They dropped from a two to a three. It's a very volatile bracket right now because there are so many teams playing in conference tournaments. They're moving up and down. Uh, you know, Lenardi made the point when he dropped West Virginia to a three. There's plenty of time for them to, to move back up to a two or even to a one, depending upon what happens across the country. So I think the seven teams that are going to the tournament out of the Big 12 are locked in. I don't think any of them is going to be a lower seed in a first-round game. I think it's going to be eight or higher. And I, I think the next week and a half is really going to put all of them in a position where I don't like the chances of all seven of them getting to the Sweet 16, but I think they're all going to have that opportunity. Wouldn't surprise me one bit to see all seven teams win their first round again. Very. I mean, that would be something. That would be a heck of a job by the Big 12. Do you think, Matthew, this, this conference is getting enough credit in the grand scheme of, of college basketball media? 
Um, I think within the media, I think so. I think the media gets it. Uh, I'm not sure if the casual basketball fan does. Um, I mean, I think they see Baylor and they see Gonzaga, they see Michigan uh, and teams like that. I don't think they may not necessarily pay attention to the depth in this conference. You know, the Big Ten is going to have more teams in the in the in the big in the NCAA tournament than the Big Twelve. Uh, there's really no way around that. But I don't think they're a deeper conference. I think they're they're first three or four teams in the Big Ten are very comparable to the Big 12. After that, I think the Big 12 is better. And I think you asked me about the SEC earlier this year. You know, it's kind of the same thing there. They've got some great high-level teams at the top of their conference, but they're not very deep. This is a conference where, you know, everybody has basically caught up to Kansas at this point. Uh, not, not to say that Kansas might not win the conference title next year, but you know, they're not weak sisters anymore in this conference. There are no weak sisters in this conference if you watch it from week to week. But these seven teams are as good as any team in the country. They're all in the top 20 this week. They all can make a run in March. They all could end up seeing each other again in the Sweet 16 or even the Elite Eight or, heaven forbid, even the Final Four. He's Matthew Postens. Can't wait. It's finally March, Matthew. Great to have you on. Look forward to talking next week for the Big 12 tournament. All right, you bet. Final thoughts wrapping up the show coming up next. Final few minutes on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. It's always great to be here with you. And as I noted earlier on the show, boy, this is my favorite, favorite, favorite time of year. Gosh, it feels good, doesn't it? I got to spend a couple of minutes on a uh, we'll hit a few different things here to wrap up the show as we do each and every time this week. Oklahoma State. I know we just talked about this um, this week as well with our guy Kyle Boone, a pistols firing blog. But this uh, pickup of four star safety Kendall Daniels, the number one recruit in the state of Oklahoma for the class of 2021. He had originally committed to Texas A&M. He is now with the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Uh, This should not be overlooked. This is enormous. Top 100 player, top five safety in the country, number one player in the state of Oklahoma, begs Oklahoma guy, 6'4", 190, left Texas A&M, and, and he's got no character issues that I've heard of whatsoever. I've talked to a few people, no character issues. The idea that Oklahoma State could ever, just think back a few years ago even, land a top five safety in the country, even if he's from Oklahoma, just as is unthinkable in many ways, right? It really is unthinkable. But they've done it. Jim Knowles uh, has done it with how he's built up that defense. It was one of the best defenses in the Big 12 last year. And frankly, if that defense didn't play as well as it did last year, I mean, Oklahoma State might be a sub-500 team. If it was the Oklahoma State defense from four or five years ago with last year's offense, that's a sub-500 team in this conference. There's no doubt in my mind that it is. Yet he turned it in to a a really, really good unit, really good defensive unit. And Jim Knowles deserves a lot of credit for it. Something just, a switch just flipped here in the last couple of years. And guys have totally understood that defense. And it is working out so well for Mike Gundy. Like we like talking about things that haven't gone well for Mike Gundy over the past year. But that hire of Jim Knowles does not get enough attention. It should get a lot more attention. It should get a lot more respect. And speaking of uh, recruiting, Big 12 is off to a great start in the 2022 class. 
So according to 24-7 Sports, Texas and Oklahoma now have teams ranked in the top five. Oklahoma State is sitting in the top 10 for Big 12 teams in the 247-2022 rankings. That is a big, big, big job by all those three teams. Baylor sits at number 21. So the Big 12 is nearly half of the conference basically in the top 20 or 25. If that holds on and the Big 12 continues to uh, recruit like that, and that still doesn't even count the fact that I know that Matt Campbell's never going to be a guy at Iowa State that is recruiting top 25 classes. Like I, Even if they're a top 10 team all year, it's just Matt Campbell's got his formula. He's got his system. I don't think he's one of those guys that is going to change that system. Now, he may snag a four-star here or there, a couple of four-star guys. Still going to be tough to do. But what Matt Campbell has proven to do so well is find those three-star diamond and rough types and turn them into absolute studs. That's what Matt Campbell does time and time again. And he'll continue to do it for as long as he's in Ames. But Baylor should be able to recruit top 25 level. No doubt in my mind. TCU uh, has recruited in the Big 12 at a top 25 level, and that should continue under Gary Patterson. If that's the And Oklahoma State, frankly, Oklahoma State has under-recruited for a very long time. We've talked about that. Um, Mike Gundy's not a guy that's going to hammer the recruiting trail. It's not as much his style. Uh, he lets his staff do that. There's pros to that. There's cons to that, right? But I firmly believe that if Oklahoma State starts recruiting to its potential, which is a top 25 class every year, it should be able to do that then there's no reason half the Big 12 can't be ranked in the top 25 in recruiting every year. Oklahoma, Texas, throwing Oklahoma State, and then Baylor and TCU, obviously recruiting rich areas right in their backyards. That should be doable every single year. And then you have a combination of, you know, Texas Tech, West Virginia, um, Iowa State, get those teams all in the mix, get them in the top 40, and then you know that, Kansas and Kansas State are, are never going to be way up there. But, you know, Chris Kleiman knows what to do as well. Unless Miles has a track record there where he's never going to get five-star guys to Kansas. But you know what? He can certainly do better than what's been done. So that's something to definitely keep an eye on as well as we go through the uh, recruiting season here, which is still very early. But, boy, it comes fast with the early signing period, you know? It comes very fast with the early signing period right around the corner. You've got a situation where these guys are deciding, it seems like, earlier and earlier in terms of, you know, who will do what, how things will go down, and who's going to commit where. You already have a bulk of guys in 2023. A lot of the top 2023 guys are off the board in some cases. So it's, um, it's a really exciting time. And if you're a Big 12 fan in general, I'll spend the last couple of minutes on this. If you're a Big 12 fan in general, like – Take a moment, take a step back, and just appreciate where we're at right now as a conference. I started this website and this whole outlet. I never thought it would turn into what it did. But I started this almost seven years ago now. And the Big 12 was kind of on the rocks. They were a punching bag for other conferences. They weren't getting any respect. Uh, nobody was really covering them. And it annoyed me. As someone that used to work in uh, Woodward, Oklahoma, and... Loved it and loved the people and everything else that um, was involved there. Loved this conference. So this conference deserves a lot more attention. And we're going to give it it. And we're going to start this website. And I'm going to do it single-handedly myself, nobody else, nothing else. And we're going to get this conference some attention. And I'm not taking an ounce of credit for it. That's not my point here. But 
when you look at where this conference is today, from a football perspective, some of those recruiting numbers I just shared with you, from a basketball perspective, seven teams going to the big, likely going to the NCAA tournament. You could have you know, five of those seven with top four seeds. Just unbelievable. The depth and the quality of this conference. And all this talk, seven, eight, nine years ago, the Big 12's dead. It's over. It's done. Put a lid on it. Pac-12, Larry Scott. They're the way of the future. Colorado's going out there. Who's getting that last laugh now? Big 12's not perfect. All right, it's not. But who's getting that last laugh right now? When you talk about making money, revenue is obviously important, stability, and then success on the field or on the court, Big 12's doing great, guys. It's doing absolutely great. And we appreciate you joining us um, on this journey, on the radio, on the podcast, wherever it might be. By the way, on the podcast, leave us that rating and review. Send me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com, and I'll get a free Heartland College Sports koozie in the mail for you. Thanks so much, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great week.